Well, good morning, everyone. We've already covered a lot of ground this morning in our worship, and uh, it's just been a wonderful time of singing and prayer together. Thank you for the scripture reading as well. You know, there's a story at the end of the Gospel of Luke that uh, some of you maybe remember, and it takes place uh, sometime on the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. It says that on that day, later in that day, two of his followers were uh, walking. They were on the road to a little village called Emmaus, which was seven miles outside of Jerusalem. And this is the first day after the Sabbath. Jesus had been killed just before that. And so um, I, I guess kind of the world was just coming out of its post-Sabbath, situ- you know, out of the Sabbath. And as these friends were walking along on the first day of their work week, they were talking with each other about what had happened, about Jesus and about what had happened to him. And the scriptures say that as they were sorting that out, as they were trying to make sense of it all, Jesus appeared to them. Jesus himself appeared to them and walked with them for a time and talked with them, and they weren't allowed to recognize him. They weren't permitted to recognize him right away. And the curious thing is that in the moment that they did recognize him, then he disappeared again. It sounds a little frustrating to me to have been one of those people to have been trying to sort this out, and then the one who can help me do that is right there, and then about the time that he's, I realize who it is, he's gone again. And so what happens for them, though, is that they then rush back to Jerusalem, because as far as they know, I mean, this is the, the sighting of Jesus. They haven't heard about the other sightings yet, and so they rush back to Jerusalem to, the, to where the 11 uh, leading disciples are gathered with other people, and they rush in and start telling them about this incredible experience they've had on the road to Emmaus. And the Bible says that as they were telling this story, Jesus himself stood among them again. And so Jesus shows up again. And he says, peace be with you. Peace be with you. But the whole group, it says, was startled and frightened. The whole group, startled and frightened, as I guess we would be too, thinking they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, Jesus asked, and why are your hearts filled with doubt? Interesting that he he connects uh, fear and doubt in this moment. Why are you frightened and why are your hearts filled with doubt? Look at my hands, look at my feet, he says. You can see that it's really me. Touch me and make sure that that I am not a ghost because goats don't, goats. Thank you. (laughs) You got me there. (laughs) Touch me and make sure I'm not a ghost because ghosts don't have bodies as you see that I do. As he spoke, it says he showed them his hands and his feet. Still, it says they stood there in disbelief and wonder. I'm sorry, filled with disbelief, filled with joy and wonder. So they have this, all these currents going through them. Disbelief, joy, wonder. Um, And it says um, also uh, that they were frightened, that they were doubtful. All of these cross currents going through them. So then he asked them, it says, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish. And he ate it as they watched. So again, I think if they're worried that he's a ghost, he's going to eat some fish. He does that as they watch him eat this fish. And then he says, when I was with you before, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. Kind of a curious thing to say in that moment. But then it says, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written, he said, that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. You are witnesses of all these things. 
And now I will send the Holy Spirit, just as my Father promised. But stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven. What Jesus does, one of the things Jesus does here is he reminds them of his backstory. Remember last week I said Jesus has a backstory. Jesus had a backstory. And he, he points to it in this phrase here. When he mentions the law, the prophets, and the Psalms. He's referring to the scriptures they had. Those were the three major divisions of what we now call the Old Testament. <clears throat> and basically what he says to them is, the whole Old Testament points to me. When he talks about the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. <clears throat> and verse 45 says, they got it. They got it. It says, he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. <clears throat> Gary, can you take me down for a minute? I need to cough. getting over a uh, congestion, so thank you. Um, So they understood the scriptures in an entirely new light. When he helped them to understand what what the scriptures meant, these are scriptures that they knew backward and forward, that they had studied all of their lives, but he opened their minds, it says, so they could understand those scriptures. You see, the Bible is not mainly just a collection of small stories. Yeah, there are lots of stories in the Bible But what Jesus is telling us here is that those stories all point to him. They have their meaning. They have their deepest meaning as they fit together and help us to understand who he is and what what should have been expected for him. So those stories have their meaning as they contribute together to his one larger overarching story. So this this month as we're in the sermon series during Advent, we're calling it Jesus in the Moment. We're looking together at the d- several different moments in history to understand who Jesus was, the fact that he was anticipated from centuries before he arrived. So last week, we started with Jesus at creation. We started with uh, pointers to Jesus from the creation. And at the end of the sermon last week, the, the takeaway that I gave you, the action step I gave you was to, to read through that passage from Colossians 1 as many of the days of last week as you could. I hope you I hope you did that. I wonder if as you did that, it deepened your appreciation, your awe of how intimately Jesus is involved with your daily life, with the world around you as the Lord of creation. Today, we look at Jesus in history, looking at Jesus in, Old, in pointers to him in the, in, Old Testament, in the Old Testament. Next week, we look at Jesus in prophecy and what the prophets could see of Jesus. And the fourth week, Jesus incarnate in his birth story. Our hope is that in these sermons, you'll be able to see that the story of Jesus starts in the very beginning of human history and continues with us even to the present day. That Jesus is the center around whom, around which, all that story revolves. Because it turns out that from the beginning, God's purpose was to redeem all of creation, all of his broken creation through the life and through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. So his life and his teachings, his death and resurrection are the the things to which all of what came before him points forward. And everything that comes after him looks back at those things with awe and with celebration, including us, including our worship, including our lives. The amazing good news to us that resonates throughout all of that story and continues to today, as you've heard already this morning, is that everything, everything that has been broken Everything that's gone wrong can be and will be restored through the work of Jesus. 
So this morning, as we look at Jesus in history, we try to understand the, the pointers to him in the history of Old Testament Israel. There are actually so many things in the Old Testament that point toward Jesus, it's a little overwhelming to pick just a few of them to highlight in a sermon like we have today. I quickly came up with a list of over 20 things, statements and uh, stories and themes in the Old Testament that point forward to Jesus, but you'll be glad to know I picked only three of them. I just, I'm going to highlight three of them for you today. I picked one of each of them. I'm going to start with a statement of Moses, and then I'm going to look with you at a theme that runs through the scriptures of God's presence, and then I'm going to look with you at the story of the Passover lamb and how those three things point to Jesus. And just as a footnote, I, I usually try to stay in one or two texts in one sermon so as to not to overwhelm the, you with information and with all, you know, all, lots of different scriptures. I think you can quickly kind of lose track of where we're at. Uh, it's a little hard to do that when we're tracing themes across the whole Old Testament, so I hope you'll be a, patient, a little more patient with me this morning. But let's, let's just dive in with a, the statement from Moses. Now, we don't know exactly what Moses looked like, but we had our artists do some intensive study and we think maybe this is what he looked like a little bit. Um, but I, I thought it might be helpful to have, if, if you're somebody who likes to draw while you learn or, or doodle while you are in a meeting, um, we'll just leave this image up there. You might want to draw Moses as, as I tell you how Moses points us to Jesus. The book of Deuteronomy is the, is the fifth book of the Old Testament. And in Deuteronomy, you may remember that that whole book is, is Moses at the end of his life kind of reviewing for the people where they've been reviewing the teachings and the word of God that's come to them through him. And so Deuteronomy is kind of a summary of what's come before. Um, but it's interesting because he also adds in some things that he hasn't said or hasn't recorded in the other books. So for example, in chapter 18, where he's in the middle of his summary and review with them, he says, um, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your um, fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. So the statement that we want to focus on that points us to Jesus is Moses' statement, the Lord will send you a prophet like me. He said, this is what you asked for. He reminded them that at, uh, when they were at Sinai, he said, don't, um, don't let God speak directly to us because we can't handle it. It's too overwhelming for us. Speak, why don't have him speak to you and you speak to us. And again, he reminds them in chapter 18, I will raise up a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. I will put my words in his mouth and he will tell the people everything I command him. So the Israelites took that promise, that statement as a promise. They took it to heart uh, and they looked, they held out hope for its fulfillment over the centuries. But even in the best of times in Israel, nobody mistook any of the other leaders or prophets for, for this prophet. Nobody thought that this person had come. So when David was in his glory, nobody thought he was the prophet that had been promised. When Solomon was in his even greater glory, when Isaiah came as a great prophet, nobody, none of them were seen as the prophet that had been promised through Moses. But they carried this promise with them over the centuries And listen to what Stephen, an early Jewish Christian, said in the New Testament in Acts 7. He was defending himself before the high Jewish council of the time, the Sanhedrin. And he has a, the whole of chapter 7 in Acts is his speech to the Sanhedrin. And he's defending himself, recounting the history of Israel to them. And one of the things he says is, so God sent back the same man. He's talking about Moses here. He sent back Moses to his people. 
He sent back the same man he had previous, they had previously rejected when they demanded, who made you a ruler and judge over us? Through the angel who appeared to him in the burning bush, God sent Moses to be their ruler and savior. Really interesting phrase there that, that might remind you of someone who's to come later. <clears throat> he sent Moses back to the people to be their ruler and savior. And by means of many wonders and miraculous signs... Interesting connection there as well. By many wonders and miraculous signs, Moses led the people out of Egypt through the Red Sea and through the wilderness for 40 years. And then listen to what Stephen reminds them of, these men he's talking to in the first century. Moses himself told the people of Israel, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your people. Basically what Stephen says to these men in this moment is, Jesus is that prophet. Jesus is the one who Moses was pointing to many, many centuries ago. You know, there are quite a few interesting parallels between the life of Moses and the life of Jesus. I'll just mention a few of them to you. For example, Moses was born into a poor and unimportant family. And when he was born as a baby, he was placed in a kind of strange place for babies. He was put in this basket that was put out into the river to protect him from from the the Pharaoh, well, from his his henchmen, I guess. Jesus was also born in a poor and unimportant family and was placed in a kind of a strange place for babies, right? In a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals. Moses was also born during a time when the ruler of the time was systematically killing the baby boys, the Hebrew baby boys, to protect his kingdom from the threat that they might pose. And you may remember that part of Jesus' story is that the ruler of his time, Herod, sent out an order to kill all the baby boys who were two and under because of the threat that they might pose to his rule. And because of his, God's intervention at his birth, Moses was this unique combination between royalty and slavery. Probably the only person in Egypt who was both part of Pharaoh's household and at the same time part of the slaves in the land. Moses traded in what could have been a life of comfort and ease as part of Pharaoh's household for the pain and the suffering and the rootlessness, the powerlessness of being a slave. Well, Jesus also, because of God's intervention at his birth, Jesus is both God and man. There are two natures in him. (laughs) Jesus is fully God and fully man. And he set aside the privileges, it says in Scripture, of being God in order to join us in our situation so that he could be our redeemer and our savior. Stephen here in in, uh, Acts 7 refers to both Moses and Jesus as ruler and savior. He refers to to Moses as the ruler and savior of his people. He says he performed many wonders and miraculous signs. Both Moses and Jesus were called and sent by God to be the deliverers of their people. So the writer of Hebrews says that Moses... Moses um, was faithful, it says, as a servant of God, that Moses was one of the greatest of all God's servants, and probably there is no greater figure in the whole of the Old Testament scriptures than Moses. But Hebrews says that Jesus was faithful as God's son. Jesus was faithful as God's son, and so it says that Jesus is worthy of greater honor as the one to whom Moses pointed all those centuries ago when he said, the Lord will send you a prophet like me. So that's the, the statement. Let's, let's turn our attention to the theme of God's presence. 
The theme of God's presence among his people points to Jesus. We have a lot of written description, a lot of writing that describes the temple of, uh, of Solomon. We don't, as far as I know, there are no drawings that, can, that exist from that time. You can find drawings of what it might have looked like. Here's one of them. And again, if you're somebody who likes to draw or doodle while you listen and learn, let me tell you how the temple and the theme of God's presence points us to Jesus. One of the major themes that runs through the whole Bible, the whole story the Bible tells from the very beginning to the very end is the presence of God. I once heard a teacher say that that this is the major theme of the whole scriptures, is the presence of God dwelling with humankind. So for example, let me just walk, let me tell you a little bit about how, why they say that. But basically what we're talking about here is that as much as possible, it seems that God wants to be close to us. He wants to live with humankind. He draws close when we welcome him, when we obey him, and he draws back according to the story when we turn away from him, when we disobey him. But always God is moving toward God's people so that he can be with them. So for example, in the Garden of Eden, the very beginning of the story, God's present, God is immediately present with them. God is fully and immediately present with humankind. It's part of the original design of the good creation. When we come forward in time to the exodus from Egypt, God's presence is, is very real to them through a cloud during the day. They can see a cloud that symbolizes his presence. And at night, it's a pillar of fire. Eventually, as part of that journey, he gives them instructions for a tabernacle, which is like a special tent where he says, I'm going I'm to have my, my presence is going to be very, especially real in that tent. When they settle in Jerusalem, he gives them instructions for a temple which you see as a, a drawing here. This is a temple where, if you remember the story of Solomon, when Solomon prays at the dedication of the temple, the presence and glory of God comes and fills that temple in a really dramatic and glorious way. In a way, people can kind of see the presence of God descend on and fill that, that building. And it's a wonderful thing, except that the people become so confident that that's where God lives, that they then become sure that, they're, that they can never be overthrown that Jerusalem can never be conquered because God lives in this building and there's no way that anybody can defeat God. So they know that, no, they, they think the prophets are false prophets who come to them and say, this, this temple can be destroyed. God's presence can be taken away from you. And they, they kind of laugh them off as false prophets because they say, no, God lives in this temple. <laughs> there's no way God would let himself be conquered or overcome. Moving forward in time, in John, it says that in Jesus, God came to live among us himself in the person of Jesus. The very familiar verse of John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. He came to live among us himself. Jesus is the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. And when Jesus is clearing, the, later on, when Jesus is clearing the temple of the, the merchants and the money changers, you remember he's saying, uh, you are <coughs> taking over the worship of God with commerce. And people challenge him and say, who are you to do this? Why are you doing this? One of the things he says is, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. He's in the temple courts and he says, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they say to him, what are you, crazy? It took us 46 years to build this temple. 46 years to build this glorious building. And you're going to rebuild it in three days? <clears throat> but the temple, it says, the temple he had spoken of was his body. And his disciples remembered this after he was raised from the dead. 
They, re- they remember this and it says they believe the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Basically, Jesus is saying God is present in me. He's not only present in this building, God's presence is within me in a new way. Later on in the day of Pentecost, after Jesus has raised, been raised from the dead and ascends to heaven, the Holy Spirit comes to live among his people. <clears throat> the very presence of God himself comes to live in all people, all of his followers. And now we have become his temple. The people of God has become his temple, the place where God dwells. Paul says in one of his letters, do you not know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? You together are that temple. You are now the temple where God lives, replacing this physical temple. And at the very end of the story, remember how at the beginning of the story, God's, immediate pres- God's presence was very immediate to them. One of the promises from Re- Revelation 21 at the very end of the story is that God's, present, God's presence will be with his people once again in a very immediate and full way. Verse 2, uh, verse 3 of Revelation 21 says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. So you might, that gives you a brief flavor of how someone might say this is the major theme of the scripture, God's desire to be present with his people. So we've looked at a statement from the Old Testament, we've looked at a theme from the Old Testament, and now I want to look at a story from the Old Testament, the story of the Passover lamb that was sacrificed for the deliverance of God's people. We're pretty confident that that's what lambs look like. We don't know what Moses looked like exactly. We don't have pictures of the temple, but we do have lambs. So there's something that you can draw as well as I tell you how lambs point us to Jesus. It's kind of a strange symbol if you think of it, a strange um, image or symbol to picture the all-powerful God, a lamb. The story of the Passover lamb is probably a little more familiar to you than than the first two, Um, You can find the story of the Passover lamb in Exodus chapters uh, 12 and 13 as part of the deliverance of God's people from slavery in Egypt. As God was about to send the last, the 10th and last plague over the land of Egypt, this is the, uh, the plague of death to all the firstborn sons and animals, God told Moses how the Hebrew people could redeem their children from that plague or could rescue, protect their children from that plague. He said, he told Moses to have each household butcher a year old lamb without any defects and then to mark the door frames of their houses with the blood of that lamb. And any household marked with the blood in that way would be passed over by the angel of death, by the plague of death. The Passover lamb will have redeemed the children in that household, rescued them from death. And it was after that event that the... the, uh, Children of Israel were allowed to leave Egypt. They were released from slavery and Moses led them out, which is the great story of deliverance that has been retold every year since then across all the centuries for thousands of years. Very interesting in Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, he refers to Jesus as our Passover lamb. Jesus as our Passover lamb. The apostle Peter writes in his first letter, You know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors. No, you were redeemed, it says, with the precious blood of Christ, 
a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen from before the creation of the world. Echoes of last week's sermon. He was chosen from before the creation of the world to be a lamb without blemish or defect, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him, it says, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. When the Apostle John is given his revelation, what we know now is the book of Revelation in the Bible, one of the things he sees is a series of visions of heaven. He gets glimpses into heaven. And one of the main things he sees when he looks into heaven is a lamb. It says, I I saw the one on the throne and I saw one with him who uh, looked like a lamb who had been slain. And in Revelation 5, he says, then I looked, he's looking into, into heaven, I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. And in a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and glory and honor and praise. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. You can't understand what they're talking about unless you know the story of the Passover lamb. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth, he says, and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. The story of the Passover lamb points forward to Jesus as well. He's honored as the lamb who was slain, the one who was chosen from before the creation of the world to be the one through whom God would heal the brokenness in the world, would restore his good creation to all of its glory, to the way that he had in mind in the beginning. So as as we've walked through these three pointers to Jesus from the Old Testament, from the history of Israel, I hope you can see more clearly that as I said earlier, all of what came before him is backstory. All of what came before him looks forward to him with anticipation. We saw specifically that happening in the statement of Moses, in the theme of God's presence, and in the story of the Passover lamb. But I think that's probably the kind of thing that Jesus had in mind when he, was, when he said to his disciples in Luke 24, when I was with you before, I told you that everything must be written about me Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms must be fulfilled. So what do we do with this? I I think there's several different ways that we might respond to what you've heard this morning. I think one of the ways to respond might be to want to learn more, to to, to learn more, to explore these images more deeply. I've given you three, but I've just scratched the surface with them. These are things you might want to learn more about to appreciate the the richness and the beauty of these images and to understand the faithful determination and love of God that we see expressed in these and other images. Or you might want to learn from other images. As I told you, there are many, many other themes and statements and uh, stories in the Old Testament that point to Jesus. You might want to identify some other ones and learn more by studying those more deeply. Another way you might want to respond is to meditate on the meanings of these three symbols in particular, to meditate and appreciate what they tell us about God. For example, I think the the statement of Moses, among other things, tells us about God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness. God had this in mind, was planning. He spoke through Moses hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus came to say, yes, I'm going to send a prophet 
like Moses. In fact, greater than Moses. And, and I'm so familiar with thinking of that as uh, the prophet greater than Moses. I thought that's what it said when I first looked it up this week when I was, was studying this. And all Moses says is, I'm going to send a prophet like me. But we now know that God sent a prophet like Moses, but in a much more amazing form and way. So that might be something that you might want to meditate on more deeply. Or, for, or what about the people in God's presence? Meditating on the, God's desire to be with his people and understanding that more fully from the inside. Understanding that God uh, finds new ways to be present to his people across the century. Even when his people turn away from him, God's desire to be present is still moving him toward people, moving him toward us. And it's also God's desire to be with us is part of the core of that promise to be with us in the end, to be fully with us when he restores all things. Finally, you might want to respond to this by receiving the deliverance that God has promised. I mean, these stories of the, of, of, tell us about God's deliverance of other people in the past. Many of us in the room have stories about God has delivered us in our own lives and in our own journeys. If you've never received the deliverance of the Lord, from sin and death that's available to you in the Lord Jesus, through the work of the Lord Jesus, I'd urge you, I urge you this morning to receive that deliverance. Receive it in a new way if there's an area of struggle in your life or receive it for the first time. Grateful that Jesus has accomplished our redemption through his own suffering and death. I mean, it's one thing as we study the scripture to know that God provides through the su- deliverance through the suffering and death of a lamb to know that God provides for our, our deliverance through his own suffering and his own death is an incredible twist in the story that nobody saw coming. So if you haven't done so before, I would urge you to embrace, to accept that deliverance, to receive it by acknowledging that Jesus is Lord and by placing your hope and your trust in his, uh, his faithfulness and on, in his death and his resurrection on your behalf. Lord, as we understand more of the history of how you have interacted with people over the centuries, it's incredible to us both how you, how, um, how determined you've been, how, how relentless you've been in interacting with people, calling people to yourself, but also how faithful you've been to, to promise what's coming, to give pointers to what's coming. And to fulfill those things, those, those four foreshadowings in such incredible ways. Lord, we are amazed and we're grateful. And we are again filled with hope, filled with the peace that it gives us to know that you have yet to fulfill all of your promises and that some of them are out ahead of us. Lord, we look to you with anticipation in this season of Advent. We anticipate your full coming and the full restoration of all things. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. Just like last week, we have a song to end with that may be unfamiliar to you, but we want to invite you into this moment. You can either receive in this moment and listen and take it in, or you can...